Welcome to Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. This is the podcast designed to help you lead your life enthusiastically today, tomorrow, and every other day. I am your host, Ron Kaiser, positive health psychologist, keynote and TEDx speaker, and also author of the triple award-winning book, Rejuvenating the Art and Science of Growing Older with Enthusiasm. My website is The Mental Health Gym. It's your source of all kinds of information regarding positive psychology, rejuvenating, uh, goal-achieving psychology, which is what I developed, and all kinds of things related to wellness. It's also a place that you can be in touch with me and where you can even suggest future guests for the podcast. As listeners of the podcast know, my goal is to bring you on a weekly basis varying guests who are not only outstanding in their field, but also lead their lives with enthusiasm and have different ways of helping us to become the best versions of ourselves. And in that regard, we have a really special treat in store for us today. We are going to be talking with Coot Blackson, who is a speaker and transformational coach, a national best-selling author who has a previous book called You Are the One and has a new book, The Magic of Surrender, which is published by Penguin Random House. Coot has been featured on The Larry King Show, Dr. Drew, NPR, and many other media events. He's a member of the Transformational Leadership Council, a select group of 100 of the world's foremost authorities in the personal development industry. He's the winner of the 2019 Unity New Thought Walden Award. And Kurt's mission is simple, to awaken and inspire people across the planet to access inner freedom, live authentically, and fulfill their true life's purpose. I guess I have to apologize that he has such a simple goal. I like to have the listeners have someone who has more uh, lofty goals, but I, I think this will have to do. Coot, I am really, really happy to bring my listeners to hear your inspirational messages, some of the new things that you talk about, including the magic of surrender, which we don't usually think of in that in a very positive light. But uh, really looking forward to talking to you. Welcome, Coot. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So let me ask you, I mean, you've uh, achieved a whole lot at a, at a young age. You've uh, got a lot looking forward to you and, and lofty goals. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? How did you wind up? becoming such an important uh, transformational coach, speaker, and uh, leader of people. Yeah, well, first, I thank you very much for that, the kind welcome. You know, I don't consider myself important in a sense, but I think the work of transforming people and transforming lives is important uh, because people are important. And I take that very seriously. And so for me, 
the journey began. Like I was born in Ghana, West Africa. My father's from Ghana. My mother's Japanese. I grew up in London. I live in the US now. So I feel like I'm a citizen of the world. And from a very young age, I always felt a, a deep calling to serve humanity. As a young boy, I would feel people's, I was very empathetic. So I'd feel people's pain. I'd feel people's suffering. And there was a part of me that wanted to alleviate their suffering in some way. And I didn't know how I was going to do that, but I just felt a deep desire to do that. And so, wow, one of my first memories that really impacted my life and maybe how I got on the path was, I remember being around age six, age seven, and I was a chubby kid lost in the crowd in Ghana, West Africa. My, one of my first memories was literally seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor and she picks up the sand that this man walks on and wipes it on her face and stands up. And so week after week, I grew up seeing blind people see and deaf people hear and people stand up out of wheelchairs. The same man who sand she picked up, who didn't even know that this woman picked up the sand that he was walking on, would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, hey, stand up. He would look at a man with crutches and say, throw your crutches away. So I grew up in this environment of, shall we say, miracles and the mystical, extraordinary type of events. I didn't think at the time it was that extraordinary. I didn't think at the time it was that unusual. To be honest, I thought it was normal. I thought it was, I thought everyone experienced this. And I think that's one of the blessings because I didn't think it was that strange or different or abnormal. It gave me a sense of growing up without uh, a tremendous amount of limitations, without a tremendous amount of limits in my mind. And, and so for me, this man was my father, and my father built 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa. He was a very spiritual, luckily for me, very spiritual, uh, metaphysical kind of man. Went to India in the 60s, had some profound experiences there. And so by the time I turned age eight, I started speaking in my father's churches, 300 churches in Ghana, West Africa, a huge church in London, about three to 4,000 people every Sunday, hundreds of thousands of followers in Ghana. I started speaking in, in, in my father's church when I was age eight. That began my speaking career. Age 14, I was ordained as a minister, basically. And I was given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. But I knew that that wasn't my... I felt this deep sense uh, that that wasn't my path. And the honest truth was I was too afraid to speak my truth. My fear was if I speak my truth, my fear was if I told my father how I really felt, which was, this is not my path, that I would lose his love. I would lose the relationship. My fear was I would be outcast and be alone. And so like many of us, we're afraid to be who we truly are. We're afraid to express our truth. We we all have this fear of if I if I'm if you really know who I am, you won't love me. And so I think so often we allow fear to hijack us and hijack our creativity, hijack sharing our gifts. And so I said nothing. And for four years, I went into a deep turmoil. I went into a deep internal conflict. I went into a deep kind of depression also whilst being of service to people. But at 18, I reached a crossroads. And at that crossroads, I realized that I had to make some decisions. I felt this huge calling 
to come to America. I felt a calling to come to specifically Southern California. The reason being in my teens, I started reading many of, as a young boy before my teens, 10, 11, I started reading many of the books from my father's bookshelf. And a lot of these books of authors, people like Norman Vincent Peale, people like Joseph Murphy, people like Joe Goldsmith, to people like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and, you know, Bernie Siegel and Norman Cousins and, and Louise Hay. They, they all lived, most of them lived in Southern California. And so many of the self-help icons lived here. I wanted to come and meet them and learn from them. And I, I felt this inspiration and calling to go into this field. And I wanted to, I, you know, I had visions of inspiring books. I had visions of doing seminars. I would sneak in to my father's church in the middle of the night when no one was around with the lights off because we lived behind my father's church. And I would sneak into his church in the middle of the night. And I would, I would literally, you know, give seminars to the empty chairs, imagining I was in a hotel or, or in a ballroom or in an auditorium. And so I had a vision. And I didn't know what it was going to unfold like or what it would look like, but I felt my soul calling me in a direction. And I looked into my future, the future that was set out for me and the expected path. And I saw that I could follow the expected path. I could take that path. But if I succeeded based on my father's desire for my life and everyone else's desire for my life, but I didn't have myself because for me, the platter was kind of laid out for me. If I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my soul, if I didn't have my truth, then if I didn't have my integrity, then what do I have? I have nothing truly. And, and so I knew what I had to do, which was speak to my father, which was follow my path, which was very difficult, very scary for me. 18, I had the conversation with my father, told him I'm not taking over. That was the beginning of my path. That was the beginning of my trajectory. Uh, cut a long story short, I ended up winning a green card in the green card lottery. And that's what brought me, it's crazy as it sounds, but that's what brought me to the US with two suitcases. I knew no one in the country, landed in Los Angeles, an 18-year-old kid with a dream and a dream to inspire people. And then I went and found many of the mentors and the teachers and the authors that I read about, studied with some of them, learned from some of them. Then started traveling the world and I went to Thailand, studied with monks, I went to Israel, studied with rabbis, ended up uh, walking the Camino in Northern Spain, 800, 900 kilometers, ended up in, in India. And that's what really broke me open to another level of my own truth, my own self. And it was really through that experience that I wanted to help people in the way I'm doing. At that time, one-on-one, -on -one, and I started one-on-one, -on -one, and that evolved and that grew and that expanded to one-on-one -on -one and one-on-five and one-on-ten. And it just, the evolution kept growing until it was larger groups and books and now my second best-selling book. And it's been an amazing journey of growth, step-by-step, -step, uh, but it's been an amazing journey of growth. That's that's the nutshell. That's a fascinating story. Uh, so nowadays, how do you spend your time? I mean, is it, do you do one-on-one -on -one or do you... Uh... Yes. Speak at, at different organizations, or do you set it up? Or how, yeah. How, how, well, it's, it's it's evolved because of COVID too. The last few years, pre-COVID, I was traveling maybe 150, 180 days a year on the road, doing events, speaking small groups, large groups, a lot of my own events too, my own weekend seminars, 
I was doing two events in Bali for very small, intensive groups twice a year, 20 people, 18 to 20 people. I was training people in, in, in as coaches, uh, as apprentices, and that shifted with COVID. And so now things are transforming again. So uh, now I'm do, I do much less one-on-one. I only take on like a couple of clients now and a couple of ongoing clients. Before it used to be 12, 13 clients a month, which was insane in terms of the way I work. But now for me, the vision is, is, is mainly through events and online and digital products. And, and it's just continues to evolve. So, uh, but I love it. I really love the opportunity to impact people. So that's kind of the structure of, of how you live and work and so on. What can you give us the, the cliff notes version of your philosophy? What is it that you're doing that, whether other people are doing it or not, but what what is cool. that that's unique? Okay, so, so 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 people will often say, "What do you do? Are you a coach?" I say, "No, I'm not a coach. I uncoach people. I uncondition people. I untrain people. I unteach people because I believe that at the core we are all already whole, perfect, and complete. We are true." infinite beings at our core. Um, And so for me, the process in my work is about helping people uh, become aware of their conditioning, whether it's one-on-one, small groups, large groups. I create experiential processes that help people become aware of their conditioning so that we can peel away the layers of conditioning that prevent us from living and being in touch with our natural, true, authentic essence. And, And so... The work is really an unconditioning process because, look, from the moment we're born as children, we are born free. If you look at a child, a child is in touch with their innocence. A child is in touch with their pure aliveness. A child child is in touch with their intuition. A child is in touch with their own authentic nature, their own authentic selves. A child will jump on a table and sing and dance and cry and, 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 and run naked. It doesn't care how it looks. It's not wondering, am I fat? What do you think? It's not self-conscious. Uh, a child will, will hug a stranger. It's not taught this person's right, this person's wrong. It's not so closed and heartbroken and hardened by life. A child will sing. It doesn't care if it can't sing like uh, Frank Sinatra or Barbara Streisand. It just sings and it's just fully free. So what happened to us, you know, as we incarnate through into this human experience, we're born, we meet our parents. Our parents are just doing the best that they can do based on their upbringing, their conditioning, their childhood, their grandparents, ancestors. And so we're born into a preset pattern of conditioning. And we all have some level of dysfunction in our family, trauma, and we have to go through this as human beings. And so as children, maybe dad was had mental health issues. Mom was an alcoholic. Maybe they were fighting all the time, physical, mental, emotional abuse. Perhaps they were great people and maybe they just weren't able to, didn't know how to meet our emotional needs, so to speak. And so two things happen, and this is really the nature of my work. We get conditioned and it's, and it's often that we end up living inside of that conditioning and we're not truly conscious and aware. So the first thing is we begin to shut down, disconnect as children. We're, in, we're experiencing our family life and system. We learn to shut down, disconnect, not feel. Shut down, disconnect, not feel in order to function, survive, and deal with the pain. 
and we shut down this kind not feel, and, and, and we suppressed emotion, suppressed emotion, suppressed emotion, layers of emotion built up. And before you know it, all of the unfelt, unprocessed feelings and emotion, those layers begin to cover up our authentic expression, begins to cover up the true essence of our light and our freedom and our joy and our aliveness from expressing. And also we start contorting ourselves into a kind of shape where we hold on and learn to control so that we don't feel the pain of what's going on around us. And then we go through life in this pattern, in this shape, so that we don't feel the pain of what's going on around us. And so this way of being may have worked for us when we were five, but often at 15, at 20, at 25, at 30, at 40, this way of being that we learn to self-protect ends up getting in the way of our ability to love, our ability to be free, our ability, our ability to feel truly alive. Then as children, we learn a way of being in order to go into the world, this way of being that is about, well, who do I need to be in order to be loved? Who do I need to be in order to be loved and validated by mom and dad? And for me, I learned to be the, the preacher's kid, the good son, the perfect one, the, 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 the all-A student, the, the responsible one, the appropriate one. So we start developing all of these roles and these masks and these personas in order to fit in, in order to get love, in order to get validation. And uh, we often end up betraying parts of ourselves in order to get love, validation, approval, and to avoid pain. And so before you know, know it, we get contorted into this kind of condition shape, this condition pattern that we hold so tightly onto, it gets reinforced by society and life around us. We think that version of ourselves that we've become is who we are, but it's not really who we are. It's just the conditioned version of ourselves that we've become. And so what I really help people do, I don't just inspire people. I don't just motivate people. Uh, I, I don't just, you know, give people the inspiration. I help people free themselves from the pattern of their conditioning so that they can be in touch with the true authentic nature of what they have always been, but perhaps lost touch with. And, and, and so, you know, that's the core. You know, many times we think we're free, but the degree to which we're conditioned is the degree to which we're not free. And so for me, my work is about helping people become conscious and aware and then taking people through a step-by-step -step process of becoming free so that they can live that in the world and manifest from that place. Really, really interesting and fascinating. I'm a big believer in prevention. I'm wondering okay. if somebody is sitting there listening to this podcast uh -huh. and instead of being an old guy like me as a young parent of a child, so, you know, what you know, oh, yes, yes. makes a lot of sense. How can we avoid raising a child who then has wow. to get unconditioned? Yes, that, that's, that's, you know, this is why I think the job of being a parent is perhaps the most important job of all, because as a parent, you are shaping the consciousness of a being, a life form that will go out and live the world based on some of the patterns of what you've taught them. And so to all the parents out there, I would say you have the most important job in the world. What you do and how you raise a kid will impact humanity. You're changing humanity in that act. Okay, so, so what I would say is I think as a foundation, 
I don't know if it's possible to not condition a child. Just the fact of being human, uh, just to take some of the pressure off the parents, just the fact of being human, I think we're souls and we incarnate into this human experience in order to learn to grow and evolve. And we all have our own lessons in some way. And because this human 3D duality dimension called life isn't perfect, I don't think it's possible to be condition-free. We incarnate because there's lessons we have to learn. And and so even if our parents are perfect and we're there all the time, we're going to have some issues. And even if they weren't there, we're going to have some issues. So either way, we're going to have some issues. So I just encourage parents to really do your best. I'm not going to say be good enough, but do your best because even if you're the perfect parent, your kids are going to have some issues. They're probably going to be in therapy going, my dad and mom was there too much. They were overprotective. They were too much. And, and so as human beings, we're going to have stuff and part of life and the human experience as for us as humans is to work through that stuff. That's the process of life. As parents, here's what I always encourage. Obviously, do your best. Be kind. But the, as the foundation, to me, what I found is... The greatest gift you can give your child is the evolution of your own consciousness, your own healing, because often your unresolved psychological issues as a parent, your unresolved psychological, mental, emotional issues as a parent, a mother or father, will often play out and be reflected in the psyche of your children. And so if you don't deal with your stuff, your pain, your guilt, your shame, your hurt, your addictions, in some way, your kids will act it out, play it out, express it in some way. And so the best thing you can do to raise a healthy child is not just tell them what to do and what to not do. One of the best things you can do to raise a healthy child is to heal yourself, is to do the mental, the psychological, the emotional, spiritual work to clear your own psyche, to heal your own inner child, to deal with your own insecurities, to heal your own childhood traumas so that you don't project that onto your child, so that you don't relate to them from your own reactivity and your own pain, and as a result, traumatize them or condition them some more. They'll never be condition free, but I think when you can heal your own pain, your own trauma, then you're able to not put your fears and incomplete issues onto them. And you're able to then perhaps hold them with much more compassion, much more love, much more responsiveness. And also from your own healing, being less attached in your own conditioning, you will be more able to see the essence, the true essence not their ego, the true essence of who they are. And I think regardless of what you do as a parent, you're always going to make mistakes. But I think one of the greatest gifts you can give your kids is to to be able to see the soul, to see their divinity, to see the essence of who they are. And if you can see that even when life beats it out of them, even when society conditions it out of them, even when they get bullied, even when education, when life just starts causing them to forget if you as a parent can always see who they are. Then when your kid looks into your eyes, they see a mirror reflecting back to them who they are. That is a profound gift you give to them. I think that is a key. That is a foundation. And that is a gift that is truly, truly priceless. That gift of like, 
I see you, son. I see you, daughter. I, I see your wholeness. I see your perfection. I know you might be acting these weird ways right now, but I see you. And then you help them remember who they are, even when they forgot. That is, that's the key. Yeah, great advice. And uh, just as you're talking, it's obvious to me, both from what you're saying and from my profession, that for a lot of people, therapy is kind of a necessary component of the personal growth. But I'm sure there's kind of a normal curve of how... <laughs> I, I don't want to use the term like uh, messed up, but, uh, you know, where, where somebody falls in terms of what they bring in from from their past. Is it something where if, if somebody is functioning quite well and seems to be doing OK, is it something where people can pick up these concepts and make some changes by going to seminars or reading books or is because uh, in the example you examples you've given it's it's all hard to imagine that they don't need th that everybody doesn't need therapy but uh i'm, I'm just wondering, oh you know, what... I, I think as human beings you know no matter what level therapy or some kind of guidance coaching as a coach is helpful because many times the eyeball can't see itself and so sometimes hey the job of the ego, ego is our sense of self, our identified sense of self. The ego's job is to reinforce itself and one of the ways, and to, and to keep us safe. One of the ways we do that is through control. And as a result, we try to control everything. We try to control life. And, and as a result, it's self-preservation. And so the, the, the willingness to change and allow ourselves to change and grow in an evolutionary direction, even if we're quite normal, can be a little, there can be a little resistance in that. And, and so left to our own devices, our ego will often rationalize and convince ourselves of why we don't do what we're not going to do, even though we know we need to do it, because the ego is trying to preserve our identity in our current form. And so what I would say is it's helpful to have a mirror, outside counsel, a friend, a therapist, a guide, someone who can reflect the mirror to you and say, hey, 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 Ron, Coo, Coo, Jim, Bob, Sue, you're BSing yourself right now. Come on, come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. okay, 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 okay. Because we rational. sometimes we'll rationalize and we'll even believe our own rationalization whilst knowing it's not true. And so, so I think it's helpful to have therapy, even if you're not like messed up or deeply wounded, it, 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 just having that reflection to bounce off of can be really, very, 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 very helpful. Is it possible that someone could read some books? Absolutely. But here is the key. Here is the key. Basically, if someone practices this, what I'm about to say, they don't need therapy. And here's the key. Here's the secret. I'm going to save somebody thousands of dollars in therapy. One of the things that keeps us stuck one of the things that keeps us blocked, one of the things that keeps us from truly transforming are all the ways that we lie to ourselves. As human beings, we lie to ourselves for the reasons I shared in terms of conditioning. We sometimes stay in relationships that we know aren't aligned. We work jobs that compromise our integrity and know that this is not the reason for why we were truly born. And, and so I believe that there is no real transformation without truth. There is no real transformation without truth, and the truth will set you free. If all you do is you 
feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, express the truth, tell the truth, lift the truth, your life will transform. You won't need therapy necessarily. You won't need to, to read another book. To me, truth is powerful. Truth is real spiritual practice. Truth is real personal development. Truth is therapy because you go to therapy to tell the truth and you have someone holding you accountable to say, hey, Ron, Coot, John, Bob, Susie, you're lying to yourself. Hey, come on. Oh yeah, okay, I'm lying to myself. And so the truth is what sets us free. So here's three questions that I think everyone could just ask rigorously. And if you do, it will transform your life. Number one, what lies am I telling myself? What lies am I telling myself? Let's just start there. What lies am I telling myself? And now that can be scary sometimes because sometimes we allow ourselves to get confused and not truly acknowledge the lies because we're afraid if I tell myself the truth, then I might have to do something about it. We're often afraid of the consequences. So we're like, I'm confused. I don't really know What's true, I believe there's a part of us that knows everything because at the deepest level, we are everything. We're connected to everything and we know deep down. But it can be scary to acknowledge the truth because of the fear of, wow, if I acknowledge that I'm not in love with my wife anymore, I might have to leave. And that's scary. So I'm just not sure. If I acknowledge that I hate my job, I might have to leave. And that's scary. So I'm kind of confused. If I We play this game of confusion. If I acknowledge what my purpose is, I might have to take action and go live it. And so that's kind of scary. And so I would rather be confused. I don't know what my purpose is because now if I don't know what my purpose is, I can always stay in the confusion and the security zone and, and have the future fantasy of possibility and hope of what my purpose could be if I stay in confusion. And so what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? Freedom isn't free. Sorry to say, freedom requires that we tell the truth. Freedom requires that we let go of what's no longer aligning, what's no longer serving the fears, that those, those addictions, those patterns we've been holding on to. Freedom requires that you give up what's no longer a match, what's no longer aligned. So I would ask everyone, if you're serious about being free, what is it that you need to give up? What is it that you've been holding on to that's not working? So what lies am I telling myself? What am I pretending to not know? And what is the cost of lying to myself? What is the cost? When we lie to ourselves, it's painful. When we lie to ourselves, it's meant to be painful. That pain is a blessing. The pain is a gift. The pain is trying to tell us something. The pain is showing us where we're not living in alignment. The pain is giving us feedback so that we can course correct and rearrange ourselves. The pain is something we have to listen to. The challenge is, as human beings, and this is why therapy is helpful or accountability is helpful, because the challenge is when we feel pain, we tend to dis uh, numb it, distract ourselves, hide it, suppress it, drink it away, sex it away, drug it away, smoke it away, uh, work it away, shop it away so that we don't have to feel it. That just perpetuates it. And so if we can, thirdly, if we can ask ourselves, what is the cost of the lie? And if we can let ourselves feel the pain, feel the burn, let the pain burn inside. And it might sound like, I hate my job. Ouch, feel that. I'm no longer in love with my wife. Oh, that's scary. Let me, just, let me just breathe that in and feel that and just let that marinate inside. That's where 
the transformation begins. We're often afraid to do that, but if you can do that, life starts changing. Feel the pain and, the, and, and let that begin a process. Even if you don't take action, momentum starts. Fascinating stuff. And as we're moving along and looking at the clock, the, uh-huh. the thing that I thought I would be into by now, I haven't. Uh, <laughs> that's the whole concept of surrender that I think is not, well, I think it's probably pretty unique to you to give us such sure. a positive connotation. So I'd like you to, uh, again, <laughs> give us the, uh-huh. the, the short-form version of sure, you know, what short-form. is the magic of surrender and uh, okay. what might people find <laughs> out if they, if they read your book? Yeah, well, first, this was not the book I thought I was going to write. So I had to surrender to the book that was seeking to be written and not the book I thought I should write. That was a whole process in and of itself. I had to surrender to the book about surrender and allow the book to come through. That was a very humbling process. Uh, What I will say is, you know, in our culture today, I believe that surrender is the most powerful thing that we can do. I think surrender is the key to freedom, the password to freedom, the key to manifestation. If you look at the truly great ones, Jesus, Buddha, Gandhi, Bruce Lee, Muhammad Ali, Mandela, Mother Teresa, they all surrendered. They all surrendered themselves to a purpose that was bigger than themselves. They surrendered themselves to life. They surrendered themselves. And in that surrender, they transcended their own personal ego's limitations and life began to use them. And so I want people to get a a new context and reframe what surrender is. And so in our culture today, we have this notion that surrender is weak, that surrender is passive, that if you surrender, it means giving up. If you surrender, it means waving the white flag. If If you surrender, it means being a doormat. It means being a victim. It means being left behind, taking advantage of that. You're going to get less than in life. And I'm actually saying no, that if you surrender, what if you got more? What if you got more, more than you could even imagine with your logic, more than you could even imagine with your mind, more than you could even imagine with your ego's intention? What if you got more? Maybe not what you expect, but beyond. If you look at the best things that have happened in your life, in my life, in those listening, our lives, most of the best things that have happened, we didn't plan. We, we, we didn't plan it. They just happened in the process of living life. And so surrender is to let go of trying to control every little thing in our lives. Most of it is not in our control. Control really is the master addiction. And I would say in the last couple of years, we've realized that maybe we weren't as in control as we thought. And look, you know, you you have lived a bit of life yourself, sir. So I'm going to just, you know, assume that you probably know that probably life doesn't always work out how we intend and that maybe we're not as in control as we think. If anyone, it's folks who have lived life. This is why I respect folks that have been around because you understand the cycles and the seasons and life happening and there's what we think and there's life doing its thing. And so surrender is letting go of control. Surrender is when we stop trying to force life to fit our limited idea of what we think it should be. We often try to manipulate life. And surrender is letting go of the idea of who we think we should be and the idea of the life we think we should have so that we can allow the authentic life that is seeking to emerge, that is seeking to happen, to 
to reveal itself. You know, sometimes we get so attached to what we think our life should be, what we think a situation should be, and we think that we know, but many times in our limited ego's capacity, we don't know. We think we know, but we don't. And I think life is so much bigger than our small mind. Life is so much bigger than our ego. And so we often get so attached. In that attachment, we hold so tightly to what we think we want and what we think the goal is that we don't realize that we are, in fact, limiting life. We're limiting life. And so surrender is to take the limits off of life and allow yourself to be open. Allow yourself to be available. Allow yourself to be uh, receptive to the authentic life that is seeking to happen. And I think when we do that, we are truly available to the magic. And so the reason I called the book The Magic of Surrender, magic is that which is beyond our mental capacity to imagine. Magic is beyond our limited. So I'm not talking about like a David Copperfield magic. I'm talking about epic, amazing. And, and, And so when I ask people, do you want more magic in your life? Everybody says yes. But very few of us were willing to surrender. It's like, I want the magic, but I want to hold on to my old relationship. I want the magic, but I want to hold on to who I was. I want the magic, but I want to keep eating donuts and Big Macs and milkshakes. And it it doesn't work that way. And so I'm saying, if you want more magic, the password is surrender. And the degree to which you surrender and you let go, the next level of your life, all of us, requires the next level of you. And the next level of you requires that you let go of what's no longer aligned. But as human beings, our ego holds on to what we know out of self-preservation and comfort and out of safety, and we hold on. We don't realize that holding on to what's not aligned and working keeps you stuck. Holding on blocks your blessing. Many times we are blocking our blessing and we don't even know. When you let go and you surrender, You will lose people and you will lose things. But I'm going to promise you this. If you follow your soul and you surrender what you lose and whoever leaves your life was never meant to be in your life in the first place. And then you make the room, you make the space because now you've taken the reins off of life and now you've made the space for life and the magic and the grace of this intelligent life that has been around for billions and billions and billions of years to to meet you and unfold. That's when we go beyond ourselves, and that's when the magic happens. Well, I think listeners can understand that this guide, the book, is a wonderful guidebook for how to lead your life. And uh, I don't think I've heard it before, but in in the midst of what you were saying, is something that really resonated with me: that control is the master addiction. And, yes, uh, yes, it, yes. I mean, there's so much wisdom that we've gotten today. Tell us where we can get the book um, oh. and yeah. uh, other anything else that you've got to Folks. offer that we can, oh. how can we can get in touch with you, follow you and so on. Yeah, people can get the book on Amazon. Go to Amazon, The Magic of Surrender, Coop Blackson, my name, K-U-T-E Blackson. You can get the paperback version. It's just out as well. If you get the paperback version and you're listening, it's probably in June or whenever you're listening, you can go to uh, www.coopblackson.com forward slash reinvent seminar, K U T E B L A C K S O N.com forward slash reinvent seminar. And uh, on May the 14th, I did a free, uh, a special seminar for those that ordered the book. I will give you access to the replay plus a bunch of free gifts. So 
go to that site, enter your name, your email, and your receipt, and you'll get access to the seminar replay. Uh, my main website, Ku Blackson, for those that might feel inspired to go to the next level, and maybe you're ready to transform your life, uh, live your purpose, twice a year, I do a very special life-changing event for 12 days in Bali, and it's called uh, Boundless Bliss Bali. And so that's www.boundlessblissbali.com. Uh, go there, check out the site, join me in Bali every July and December. Instagram and Facebook too. Great. Do you give people some time off when they're in Bali? <laughs> no time, no time. <laughs> Oh, I mean, there's so much that you've got to offer, Kurt. Uh, Thank you. I'm good. I'm so happy that you took the time to share it with, with my listeners. Really looking forward to learning more about what you're doing. We'll have all this information in the show notes so people will be able to follow up, get the book, get in touch with, with your website, and maybe you might see some of them in Bali. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. It was really, really a pleasure. And thanks so much for sharing your time with us. And uh, this brings to the end another episode and a really exciting one of uh, Rejuvenating with Dr. Ron Kaiser. Want to thank you all for listening. Want to thank Coot Blackson for his terrific contributions. Please, if you uh, enjoyed it, uh, not only re-listen to it, but tell your friends about it, have them download, rate, review the podcast, and you do the same. And of course, visit the website, mentalhealthgym.com, and be back next week. You, you know the quality of the guests that we get, so let's, let's keep it going, and let's become the best versions of ourselves with all that we gain on a weekly basis. Thanks very much, everybody. Enjoy the week. Think about surrendering and uh, process this information, and we'll see you next week. Stay safe out there and have a great time this week.